We're talking Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and free agency for the New York Giants with special guest Mike Golick Jr., host of the Gojo Podcast. That's coming up next on the Locked On Giants Podcast. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked on Giants podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trena. Happy to have you with us to start the new week. It is free agency week. We are kicking things off with the quote unquote legal tampering period of the uh, NFL calendar, which means the Giants and all the other teams can talk to other free agents that are not franchise tag players so they can start getting some deals and in, in, in motion and uh, we're going to talk about all that plus uh, Daniel Jones Saquon Barkley with today's very special guest he is Mike Golick Jr. who is a DraftKings analyst and he is also the host of the Gojo podcast and former offensive lineman played in the NFL Mike I'm so happy to have you with us thank you so- for joining me Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, you guys are one of the hot teams in town right now of all the NFL news in the last couple of weeks. It's been very hyper-focused and the Giants have been one of the people at the dance party. So it has to be a good time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, finally, we've got some news and, you know, you got to love the job that Joe Shane is doing. Uh, second year as a GM, has a plan, um, you know, is not being a pushover per se. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about all that in, on today's show. But let's kick things off with Daniel Jones, because he is the lightning rod right now. You know, half the fan base loves him. Half the fan base hates him. Um, when he signed that four-year, $160 million contract, you had people who were celebrating. You had people who were saying, that's it. I'm turning in my Giants fan club card. Um, what are your thoughts on the deal first off? So I thought it was a smart deal. Like I, I think considering the juncture where both team and player are at, it made a lot of sense on both sides. You know, for Daniel Jones, we heard all the things about him wanting over $45 million or whatever those reports are out there. It just sounded like very public negotiation. And I, I always figured it would be something more in this range. So for the Giants, I mean, uh, ostensibly, it's a two-year $82 million deal, right? So you've got the option to... Continue to see if Daniel Jones develops on this trajectory with Brian Dable. If it works out, then, you know, you've got a quarterback playing at a bargain who's going to be able to earn a little bit more money. He's got, I think, what, $37 million of incentives built in or something of that nature that would kick in and help him out in that. And if not, if you're the Giants, if it's, hey, you know, you get right about what you've got or you get a little bit of improvement as you add weapons, then you're paying about $40 million a year for a quarterback, which as we're getting ready to see Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, all these big time names signed contracts, $40 million a year for a player of Daniel Jones caliber is going to end up feeling like a bargain. It's going to be the going rate for most, you know, average to above average quarterback play in the NFL. So I think between the dollar amount and the timing you got on this, I, I, I can, uh, to me, it looks like a deal where everyone should feel pretty good. Now, it's interesting, before Daniel signed his contract, one of the arguments floating around in the NFL is there is no, quote unquote, middle class amongst quarterbacks. You're either paid like a, you know, like a Patrick Mahomes or you're paid like, you know, a backup. I mean, do you see this as kind of starting a trend for middle class or or is that whole concept kind of, you know, overblown a little bit? 
Uh, so I think in general, yeah, there's not much NFL middle class anywhere. I think the most recent collective bargaining agreements have kind of made that difficult because that rookie wage scale really created a ton of value for teams where you either, right, you want to pay a superstar, or you want to go back into the draft and get value where you can, especially if you're building around a quarterback. Daniel's interesting because especially quarterback contracts, we're seeing this with Lamar right now, it's all about timing and leverage. And for the Giants to have not exercised Daniel Jones' fifth-year option that would have created some leverage, and then for him to have had a strong year under the new regime, being as young as he is, and with the Giants having as many other needs as they have. I think that's an important factor in this. All of that led to Daniel having enough leverage to be able to coax what is sort of a middle-class deal uh, out of the New York Giants, even if it doesn't feel it right now, because part of the advantage was based on the position the Giants were in. Yeah, this is going to give us some cap flexibility to go out and do the things that we want to. We've got too many other problems to make another one for ourselves right now, but actually playing out this year on the franchise tag for him. Backing up a little bit, when you look at the year Daniel Jones had, a lot of people are like, oh, it's Dable and Kafka, you know, Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator that made it made it possible. But, you know, obviously, we've got to give some credit to the players. So when you look at the year Daniel had, you know, we look at the numbers, the interceptions were down, the turnovers on the whole were down, you know, the passing yards were, were up, the completion percentage up. But where else do you see him having made the biggest leap? So I think for Daniel, obviously, ball security was always a big problem for him early on in his Giants tenure here, the fumbles and things that popped up a lot. So you mentioned it, curbing the turnovers was a huge part of that. And I think getting comfortable with like timing as a passer, getting the ball out of his hands quickly, I think that was the best version of Daniel that we saw this past year. And part of that was necessity, right? Your receiving core didn't necessarily offer you that. And so between all of that, and then obviously Daniel's prowess as a runner, I think them in more situations leaning on him and his ability on the ground, that was something that was, I think, frustrating with prior regimes was you had this guy who, yeah, we always had the joke like, faster miles per hour wise than Lamar Jackson. That isn't really a joke. Like he, he's not a sneaky athlete. He's not any of the euphemisms we use for white quarterbacks. He's a legitimate athlete at the position. And so to see that made use of more often in an offense that had to make its living first and foremost on the ground, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones were your best offensive weapons this last year. And so all of those things were great as a foundational element for this quarterback in a league where having a quarterback that can do both, that can get you out of trouble on the ground and pass is becoming really the floor. Like you're not seeing as many just stationary pocket passers anymore. And so all of that, I think, was where he took step forward. The next step now, quite honestly, comes down to the franchise. It's putting more around him so you can see some of the development like you saw for a Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia or a Tua Tungavailoa in Miami, where you start to get some gaudier passing numbers and have that be a more consistent part of your offense. What about in terms of the scheme and what they asked him to do? You know, Brian Dable, Mike Kafka kept saying throughout the year that Daniel did what we asked him to do. From my untrained eye, I look at it and I see him kind of, you know, hitting his first read, not so much going to a second read or a third read, not so much taking a whole lot of shots down the field, which may or may not have been a result of, you know, the, um, the offensive line being inconsistent with his pass pro. But in terms of that quote unquote next step for him, you know, in terms of this offense, what we know about it, what is the next logical expectation for him that you think is realistic to achieve? I think logical expectation would be, you know, 
more volume in the passing game for them to be able to work with. I think this year, like you said, they had to play it a bit close to the vest. They knew who they were and they leaned into it. And I always said, I gave a ton of credit to Brian Dable and Mike Kafka on that because they understood and created with the resources they had. Like Brian Dable, you look at the offenses he ran in Buffalo, they weren't running the ball this much. They weren't lining up under center that much. It was, hey, we'll put Josh back there and he's going to do some great things. And they knew with the weapons they had on the offense and with Daniel Jones where he was, they couldn't necessarily do that yet. And so I think the expectation next year is to see more of that. Listen, $40 million, like I said, is going to feel like a bargain in a couple of years. But for right now, you're paid $40 million, which means you got to go out there and shoulder a little bit more of the load when we call upon you to do that. And so it's going to be, I think, an uptick in some of the drop back passing situations, him being able to, and them being able to, you know, with Evan Neal being healthier, Andrew Thomas continuing to play at the level that he's grown into now, them continuing to add depth along that offensive line. Yeah, we're going to do a better job protecting him and getting guys open. And that's going to mean we're going to expect and put a little bit more on his plate when it comes to mastery of the offense and certainly adding layers to the downfield passing game. Now, I know you didn't play quarterback when you were an NFL player, you were an offensive lineman, but maybe you can answer this question nonetheless. What is the biggest challenge versus, you know, lining up under center, directly under center versus the shotgun for a quarterback and, and as it relates to what Daniel was facing? Yeah. So, well, I think a lot of that is what it offers you in play action and the reasons you do that. Like the Giants wanted to be a downhill running team. And so putting your running back at seven yards behind the quarterback when the quarterback's under center and giving a guy like Saquon those angles and that ability to see things, it was about creating from there. Because then on the play action, the biggest advantage that you have when you're lining up under center is you you can turn your back to the defense. You can hide the ball. The defense really has to wonder about your intentions and you can create a harder sell. You know, we used to, when the quarterback was in shotgun and we would run, you know, some version of like a play action, it was always called like a softball play action. It's a soft sell because, you know, you really can only do so much when everything's out in front of the defensive players. You can do and work it the way we do in the RPO game, but there's just a difference there under center. And so, you know, consequently for a quarterback on the other side, if you're going to end up doing more drop back and you're Daniel getting into shotgun, well, you're getting the ball in a spot where you get to keep your eyes up the entire time and see the defense. You're not having to go and turn around and, you know, do a five or seven step drop from under center. And so all of those things will be part of the evolution of this. And being in the shotgun too for him, you know, be advantageous because he's a guy who can move around and make things happen. And so I think it's just a matter of seeing the field in a different way and having a different portion of the playbook open to you versus under center, which I'm sure they'll still want to use. Hey, Giant fans, general manager Joe Shane has some tough decisions to make in the coming weeks about free agency and the draft as he looks to build a dynasty. And speaking of building a dynasty, if you think you have what it takes to give the NFL GMs a run for their money, then you got to try Ultimate Football GM. When you play Ultimate Football GM, you get to control and manage every strategic aspect of your team as you play through the seasons and lead your team to glory, trying to build a historic dynasty. This game is so much fun. And best of all, you can play it offline and compete with your friends for bragging rights. The only thing more real than the game is actually sitting in an NFL GM's chair. That's how much control you have over your franchise. And did I mention Ultimate Football GM is completely free to play and that Locked On Giants listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when they use the promo code LOCKEDON in all caps in the game store. So what are you waiting for? 
Find Ultimate Football GM in the App Store or visit ultimate-gm.com and download the program. And don't forget to enter that promo code when you sign up. That's locked on in all caps for your free boost. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. Hey, Giant fans, thanks for making the Locked on Giants podcast your first listener watch every day. Now make your second listener watch the Locked on NFL Draft podcast. Damian Parson and Keith Sanchez provide in-depth coverage of the biggest NFL draft prospects with deep dives into the sleepers and hidden gems that can change your favorite NFL franchise. Find Locked on NFL Draft wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right. Now, Mike, I want to turn our attention to Saquon Barkley because Saquon was the second domino in what the Giants have started to do this, this offseason. Saquon got the franchise tag, $10 million, a uh, little less than what was reportedly offered to him back in the bye week. I think the offer was around $12.5 million APY. Um, I got to start off by asking this because uh, when you look at the stats, the Giants didn't really use Saquon as much as a, as a receiver. Um, I know in 2018, they used him more as a receiver, but a lot of that was check downs and whatnot. When you look at Saquon 2022 versus Saquon 2018, the last year he was fully healthy, same player, better, different, or changed? Um, I think I, changed to an extent, but still, I mean, I'd say a lot of the same stuff. You just saw him do things that someone in his size shouldn't be able to do. I, my line with guys like him is always nothing that big should move that fast. And you saw shades of the old Saquon where he could make guys miss in the hole. He could create for himself. He didn't have to as often, thankfully, because he's been doing that for his entire career, going back even to Penn State. But I saw a lot of the flashes of the same guy that we had seen of that offense he was the most talented at his position, even in an offense that had Daniel Jones taking decided steps last year. Would you say Saquon's on par with like a Christian McCaffrey? Uh, no, just because I think with Christian still, like what you said with Saquon, a lot of it was checkdowns with Christian. You can legitimately split him out. You can do a lot of the high level wide receiver stuff there. There's so much interchangeability. You know, they're both incredibly sudden Saquon, again, size and speed combination, even laps Christian, certainly. But I think, you know, he'd probably be in that next tier outside of the high level elite running backs in the league. You know, when you talk about Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, even, you know, Derrick Henry and what he's done in Tennessee, just because it was a one year sample. But, you know, for Christian, he's done with a lot of the same injury trouble. It's just with him, there's that added layer that. Now, as we have all these contract con- conversations, excuse me, about running back value throughout the league, Christian kind of obscures that a little bit in a way that I'm sure Saquon, as they develop this offense, can be able of able uh, able to do. We just haven't had to see it on as consistent of a basis. When you think of Saquon's contract value, I mean, one of the arguments I think people can make is running backs generally have short shelf lives. I mean, there are exceptions, obviously, the Adrian Petersons of the world. Saquon has also had the injury history. So in terms of determining his value, you would think that, you know, it would make sense to get a good number two guy that, you know, sort of like what they have in Cleveland with, with, uh, you know, Chubb and, and, and Hunt out there. So the value for Saquon, I mean, if you're the Giants, obviously he was your best, one of your best offensive players last year, but 
do you maybe go shorter term with him? I mean, how do you approach this contract and what kind of value do do you assign to him, especially given that the draft class is loaded in running backs? Yeah. And I think that's a key factor as we address everything that's going to go forward with a lot of like free agency and stuff like this is where the depth is in the upcoming draft class. Not a ton of things to get excited about at wide receiver, tight end and running back are super deep. We can, you know, we can obviously go through that, but I think the value for running backs that we've seen, and I, I I always hate, you know, unfortunately having to talk about this because as an alignment, I love my running back brothers. I want them all to get paid. I want them all to experience the great joys in life, but we understand with Saquon, it is complicated because of the injury stuff. That being said, 26 coming off a really good season. My thought process, especially after what we saw with the likes of like Derrick Henry is yeah, you're probably not going to want to get back into that Ezekiel Elliott and Christian McCaffrey range where you're paying a running back 15, 16 million dollars a year. That's probably not going to be something we see a lot of teams do anymore. But if you can get like a solid two or three year deal that's got more or less two years of guaranteed money and you're in that like $12 million range, that's something that I think not really going to hurt you as much against the cap. You're going to get, you know, in the mid to late 20s of a running back, I'm sure some of what could still be Saquon's best years and gives you some flexibility on the other side. And at that number, you're right. It's not cost prohibitive to going and drafting a young player that then is going to be on a really comparatively cheaper rookie deal and be able to help supplement some of those touches and spell him some during the course of games. And so I think if you were looking to, not have to live on the franchise with him and not have to do that year to year sell. That could be an idea, but this could also be just a year where they're comfortable saying, yeah, we're going to let you play it out on the franchise tag and go into the season that way. Now I know this question, this next question might sound a little unfair, but I got to ask it anyway. There's been arguments that an offensive line helps make a running back to a degree. When you look at what Saquon was able to do last year, I mean, the, we, we talked about the Giants offensive line last year being inconsistent with pass pro, but the run blocking seemed to be a little bit better, I thought, at any rate. How much of it do you think was the line, the scheme, and Saquon? Is, is, is it fair to even assess the value on that? Because just trying to gauge, if you're Joe Shane, do you say to yourself, well, I can stick any run, running back back there and they can have similar numbers or close to similar numbers. I mean, wh- where does the O-line kind of fit in the run blocking and the scheme in terms of how Saquon was able to kind of turn things around? Yeah, uh, listen, it definitely helped. Like, again, this was the best blocking I think Saquon's gotten for most of his adult life this last season. That being said, you still saw plenty of plays that were special plays made by 26 that only 26 was going to make coming out of that backfield. So uh, I think like anything else, more often than not with these run games, O-line is going to create your floor. Like your run game, especially in this league, you can't make a living dodging in the backfield the way Saquon did in college and expect to survive in this league unless you're Barry Freakin' Sanders. And there ain't a lot of Barry Freakin' Sanders still walking around these days. So the O-line is going to really set your floor for, all right, how consistent can our running game be, especially down in the red zone? Like that's where, to me, it shows up the most, and that's where a measure of a team's O-line can be the biggest thing is what's your red zone consistently look like? What's your red zone touchdown percentage look like is almost directly correlated to not can we just line up and run it down people's but do we have the ability to run it when needed, create a credible threat? So the defense has to worry about a lot for us. And so I think the O-line definitely raised the floor. I think Evan, you know, anyone that was concerned about Evan Neal and certainly injury was built into that, but, you know, need only look back as far as Andrew Thomas early in his career and remember that 
these things can take times. And I think you drafted a really good player. Um, but I still think Saquon deserves a lot of credit for what he went about this last year. He just has every once in a while and during the game, like two or three times, one of those bigger, faster, stronger plays where it's just, yeah, because of his incredible gifts, no one else would have been able to put their foot in the ground and make that happen when he did or hurdle that guy or get through that tackle. Yeah, absolutely. And then another area of Saquon's game that I thought improved that a lot of, not a lot of people are talking about was his pass blocking. Did you see the same thing with him? I, I saw a little bit of that. I, you know, uh, admittedly didn't get to, you know, watch as many reps as I'd want to, to, to be able to determine that. But that's just my love language as an offensive lineman. It's my favorite thing. I get distracted anytime I try and watch other players do stuff. When you see a running back doing a great job in pass protection. And, you know, it, we always have that conversation about three down backs and, and what they afford you and, having that, you know, variability, right? You want to be able to do everything possible under center with that guy on the field. So the defense can't just cue in like, oh, this back's in, they're probably going to throw, oh, this back's in, the running back's probably going to go out into a route and try and be able to read things over there. But, you know, Saquon, with guys of Saquon's talent level, it's always one of those things where I don't need you to be a great pass protector. I just need you to be willing. Like Bijan Robinson coming out in this year's NFL draft is a perfect example of that. Bijan's not a great pass protector, but he's a willing pass protector. And when you can do all the other stuff that those kind of freak show talents can do, that's really all I need out of you. So just basically get in the way of, of a incoming blitzer. Yeah, it's never like it doesn't have to look perfect technique wise. I don't need it perfect, but you need to understand where you fit in. You need to, and listen, Saquon's got the physical tools. That's half the battle sometimes is can you get there and physically be able to withstand the blow going backs on backer with some of the linebackers around the league here. And so, yeah, you just got to physically be able to go out there and be willing to put your body on the line because it's so much of pass protection from the running back standpoint is want to. It's like rebounding in basketball almost where it's about, hey, am I going to eat? up grass get up and meet that linebacker where he's at and just physically lay in there even if it doesn't look the prettiest every time you know it doesn't have to look like some of the guys that are you know better technical pass throwers necessarily hey giant fans the nfl season might be over but the nba season is in full swing and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, america's number one sports book because new customers getting no sweat first bet up to $1,000 if their first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to the spread and more. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, we're talking with Mike Golick Jr. He is a DraftKings analyst. He's also the host of the Gojo podcast. And we're talking all things New York Giants, as we do always here on the Locked on Giants podcast. Mike, I want to turn the attention now to free agency, which, of course, starts today, Monday, with the legal tampering period. I got to come up with a better term. I know that it just it sounds so weird, but that's what it's come to be known. Um, let me get your thoughts on the free agent class. Now, disclaimer, folks, we're taping this on Friday. So play, players are being released as we speak. Adam Thielen was just released. There will probably be some more players who were released because of salary cap issues and stuff like that. But Mike, when you look at this class, this free agency class, where are the strengths that you think can align with what the Giants need? Well, I think, you know, for the Giants 
adding depth on the interior offensive line is certainly, I think, going to be a part of that. I think, uh, was it, uh, is Matt Feliciano getting ready to be a free agent this year? John Feliciano is supposed John Feliciano, to be. A free, yeah, me. yeah, yeah. He's supposed to be, but you know, I who knows if he resigns by the time this airs. But but yes, he is scheduled to be a UFA. Yeah. So I I think between. That and then listen, receiver like Odell Beckham Jr. is working out on Friday, and I know the Jersey edit crowd is going to have a good time joking and putting him back in the New York Giants jerseys there because when you start to look around, like yeah, you know Sterling Shepard coming off injury, I know said he still wants to play this upcoming season, but having a guy if he shows himself healthy, thirteen month review removed from an ACL, um, like Odell could be then. Yeah, you know what? Like a guy like that certainly makes sense here. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, I don't know if it's a free agency situation or it'd be a trade situation trade, as much, yeah. but that's a situation to keep an eye on now. We've obviously heard some rumors about New England wanting to go after him, but I think that's an area specifically where you kind of need to swing big right now if you're the Giants. Like, yes, you've bought yourself some time and flexibility, but also I'd imagine you want to find out and determine in the next couple of years, hey, is Daniel the guy that we want to go with long-term? Is this absolute? Cause this, this is a long-term deal light. You know, this is the Bud Light of long-term deals. Not a lot of calories here. You don't have to feel too bad about drinking it. And so in that meantime, you got to kind of go and say, all right, we're going to max out what we put around him. And that to me would be, hey, bring a couple of veterans into the mix and that wide receiver core there to try and really ramp this up because you don't want to have to wait for young guys to develop necessarily, especially like we talked about with the way this draft class is. And so uh, I think between that defensively, I mean, listen, you know, Levante David being on the free agent market right now at linebacker, even at his age, is playing incredible football. And if you're the Giants, I can't think of a bigger need that you need going into this season than help at the linebacker level. So that one would be a, hey, let's move heaven and earth thing to try and get a real defensive linchpin. You love Julian Love in the back end of that defense. He seems like a guy that most people assume is going to get a long-term contract with the Giants, you know, what he's done there leadership-wise uh, on the back end of that unit. But solidifying the linebacker level with a name like that that clearly is going to be one of the crowns of the market seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's amazing how the class keeps turning over, you know, what initially started looking like it was going to be weak class, but some definitely some strengths there. You know, I want to circle back to the offensive line, if I could, for a moment here. You mentioned that they need some help along the interior. They did have the revolving door at left guard last year because of injuries. Center, you know, John Feliciano and Nick Gates are both free agents. I suspect this is just my guess that Feliciano will be back. I'm not so sure if Gates is going to be back. And then on the other side, they had Mark Lewinsky, who was okay. He was serviceable for them. If you were the Giants, how do you address that interior offensive line? You know, Joe Shane mentioned, oh, we've got some guys already on the on the roster. But I would think that, you know, if, if they weren't happy, they would have swapped them out earlier. But so how do you address it? Do you look draft for this this particular group or do you look free agency? And if it's draft, who are some of the names you like? Yeah, so this draft class, I haven't had a chance to look into as much as I want to yet on the O-line. I've still been tackle heavy right now. Free agent-wise, like Ben Powers in Baltimore, I think is going to be on the free agent market. Nate Davis from Tennessee, who looks like they're probably hitting the rebuild button right now with some of the moves. We've heard them potentially shopping, uh, you know, Derrick Henry and trying to make that, uh, you know, something like that. Dalton Reisner from uh, Denver is one of the guys I always really liked also. He's a former Kansas State offensive lineman. He was a guy who physical tone setter, big energy guy, great leadership voice, like high character guy that I think the Giants would really like. 
And so I think some of those names there could be at a good price point for them because there's not really a bell of the ball when it comes to the free agent market on the interior this season. You know, I think Jason Kelsey is technically a free agent, but that's, you know, he's either going to be back with Philadelphia or be a guy that, you know, retires and calls in an outstanding career. And so uh, I, I think any a number of those guys could be interesting targets to keep an eye on. And then, you know, like you said, the draft class potentially, but there haven't been a lot of interior names or really exterior names. This offensive line draft class doesn't have some of the same star power that we've seen, which feels hilarious to say in a world of offensive guards, but we have actually seen lately being an offensive guard can be sexy near the top of the NFL draft. Thank you, Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin for making that possible. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Two of the best currently playing the game. You know, Joe Shane spoke about wanting to close the gap between Dallas and Philly. You can't solve all your problems in one off season and then things pop up unexpectedly. But if you're Joe Shane and you're prioritizing how you're going to close up that gap, where do you see as maybe the two or three top biggest needs for the Giants to address? Uh, linebacker and wide receiver. Like we, we talked about it, you know, I, I think in the back end, you've got good personnel in your defensive secondary and defensive line wise. You know, Dexter Lawrence is one of the most unique players in the NFL. You saw a lot of the rest of that group. Uh, you know, managed to step up around him. And so you'd like to get a little bit more consistent rushing of the passer, but I just think it's the middle of that defense at that middle level there, the ability to consist, especially in the NFC East, you, you know, it's so cliche. And even in modern football and what's become a passing league, I get it. it, it this is going to sound archaic, but you got to be able to stop the run. You got to be able to do it in this division, particular in the NFL. You got to win your division first. And so if you're the Giants, hey, I got to get through Philadelphia and Dallas. And those teams want to run it down my throat. Mike McCarthy taking over play calling now has been pretty out front and saying, yeah, Kellen Moore wanted to light up the scoreboard. I want to help out our defense, which means he's going to try and pound the rock even more with Tony Pollard. And if they bring Zeke Elliott back. And so I think shoring that up at the linebacker level, first and foremost, throwing resources at that and then getting Daniel weapons on the outside is the priority. And then another pillar of of, uh, playing winning football is rushing the passer. The Giants have a good pair of pass rushers, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, assuming they could stay on the field. But the back end of the defense, the corners, I thought the depth took a little bit of a hit when they were forced to release James Bradbury. This is a very deep cornerback class in the draft. When you look at the back end of the Giants defense, can they get by with what they have? You know, a Dory Jackson, maybe, you know, either a free agent or a draft pick, or do you think they just need to start from scratch with that whole unit? I mean, I think you can kind of wean your way on to something that comes next, right? To your point, top end of the draft class this year, there's some very interesting prospects at defensive back. Um, Looking at the cornerback group, like a guy I got to see play in college, and he'd be rich taste, but just gives you an idea, right, of the depth there. Devin Witherspoon out, out of Illinois, physical. They played a ton of man coverage, get up in your face, get after it. Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, one of the more dynamic athletes in this draft. It was incredible. Joey Porter Jr., Emmanuel Forbes, Deontay Banks. Like, you keep going on and down this list. Mel Kuyper Jr. has Keely Ringo rated as his seventh best cornerback in this draft. If you're getting that kind of value at the seventh best player at that position, there might be a young guy that you can bring in there that again for Julian in the back end where you feel like you've got some voices in there you trust with him Xavier McKinney those guys like I think you can make that work by bringing on on young talent not having to go wholesale there all right final question for you Mike last year the Giants surprised a lot of people nobody thought they would have a winning record 
let alone get to the playoffs. When you look at their season, you know, and you break it down, the first half of the, the year, they had the winning record. The second half of the year, they struggled a little bit. I think they won, I want to say, three games in the, in the, after the bye week. Um, how much of that do you think was a result of the league catching up to what the Giants were doing on offense and defense? Or do you think that that was just, you know, a, a function of the injuries or just how the, the personnel kind of unfolded? I think it was just attrition as much as anything else. Like you would see the stats late in the year about how none of the Giants starting linebackers were guys that had been on the roster in week one. And with the receiving core, it was almost the same thing. Like there's only so much you can absorb in the NFL. Philadelphia and Kansas City are great examples of what happens in this league. Part of it is you have to get lucky. And some of that is, hey, right, training staff. We saw those report cards come out where some of those groups came under fire a little bit, but part of that is, hey, you got to have a few things go your way injury-wise. The two healthiest teams in the NFL ended up being the two teams in the Super Bowl this season. And so I just think at the end of the year, you looked around and some of us were going, all right, who is Daniel supposed to actually get this to south of Saquon? And so I'm able to excuse a lot a lot of that away. There were flaws that we knew were always there, and they were not a team that was able to adequately stop the run for most of the season for X, Y, and Z reasons we talked about. But uh, I'm willing to say it's more that than, you know, they figured out anything else that the coaching staff or that you know, the quarterback was doing. Well, they definitely have a bright future. Brian Dable did a heck of a job, all things considered. Uh, coach of the year, well-deserved. They got their two coordinators back, Wink Martindale on defense, Mike Kafka on offense, which I, I believe is going to be huge. Not a whole lot of turnover on the coaching staff on the assistant level, but um, bigger and brighter things ahead for the Giants, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. It's uh, it's an exciting time to see. I mean, for me, I grew up uh, on the NFC East as a kid. So to see this division in as healthy a place as it is right now is awesome. Yeah, especially after a couple of years ago, it was the NFC least. Now mm. the beast is back. So, Mike, great stuff. Again, I want to thank you for coming on and spending a little time with us here on the Locked on Giants podcast, folks. I'm going to have links to uh, Mike's podcast, which is the Gojo Pod. Uh, DraftKings analyst. So check them out there. And uh, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to the Locked On Giants podcast. Make sure you keep it here all week long as we get things ready for free agency. It starts today, Monday. So it's going to be a very interesting and hopefully busy time. For Mike Golick Jr., I'm Patricia Trena. Have a great one, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.